0: All right, well, this week, my guest, who I know we're gonna have a ton of fun with, Jeanette Anderson, has certainly been living her own version of her own, what I call big ticket life, 40 years in the expansionist space. I'll have her expand on what that means in a minute. She is polyhomerous, which I love that term. We'll talk about what that means. And she's really tuned in and turned on to the maturepreneur community, which is kind of a twist, I think, on the tune-in. What was the phrase back in the day for the audience, for the maturepreneurs to turn turn on and tune out, I think was the phrase.
1: Like that, yes.
0: Back in the day, something like that. So, Jeanette, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking the time out for everybody here to watch and listen. As always, Big Ticket Life is something you can pick up on audio. And but we also broadcast it live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube uh, every Tuesday at twelve noon. So you can check it out, see our guests, get to know them a little bit differently li- with a little bit of a different context. You get to see us, hear us, see the body language, see the smiles. Jeanette, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. And I gotta say that is a sexy intro you've got there. I'm like, thank you, dancing in my seat while I'm listening to it. Yep.
0: Thank you. Well, it was uh, my inspiration on the music and then my wonderful producer Chris Stone from Cast Ahead put all that together and gave me a few sample choices to choose from. And
1: here we are with folks like you appreciating it. So uh, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And I love the concept of your show. I love supporting people in thinking bigger and bolder. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah, and you've been doing that for forty years. Uh,
1: I know. I started when I was two. Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> I have. I have been. I've been. Uh, I've. I've had a few aberrant periods where I've forgotten and gone back into the corporate space, and uh, you know, after about two years, I go. don't oh, I remember why I hate this. I hate politics and bureaucracy and BS, oh my! Yep. And so I leave and go back and start my business again. I've had four iterations of it an event planning firm, a marketing agency, uh, a training consultancy, and now coaching and training for entrepreneurs and service professionals and maturepreneurs. So a lot of my life has been about helping people grow themselves and grow their business because the other half of my life is personal development facilitation and coaching certification programs. So the I call it the inner game. So my specialty yep. is helping them get the four inches between their ears working so the business can work. And I still am stupidly in love with my work after 40 years. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good, right? It uh, is. What do they call that? There's a movie after it, I think. Stupid Crazy Love, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So if you, if you know anything on this show, you get like partial quotes from Jeff that you know exactly what I'm talking about,
1: but I don't yes. always say it the right
0: way. And so Exactly. I call them Jeffisms uh, around around my world, but uh, so I know the folks who watch our show here. They like hearing these success stories, and you know we always gather some preliminary information from our guests. And you've been helping people grow and succeed in their businesses. Uh, let Let's kind of jump into a couple of those success stories. You don't necessarily have to name names. You could change names out. You could just talk more at a higher thirty thousand foot level, but. Share a couple stories of people that you've come across who found you and, you know, what was the struggle and, and where, where was the success found together?
1: Oh, okay. Well, there's a few that I can talk about. Um, there's a lot. Let me try and narrow it down. Okay. So I'll tell you one, um, really successful author, woman who taught sales in corporate, um, was doing really quite well. But when I came to her, speaking of big ticket, Um, one of the things that we did right away was she was selling, this was a while back, she was selling a day of training at $2,500 and was being quite successful and making a lot of money doing that um, sales training. What I came in and did was we changed it to $7,500 a day of training and six months of implementation coaching with the executive and the team. It added one day to her work, um, but tripled her income almost. So, um, she did one little shift, they got better results because they got implementation support and it wasn't just drop and go knowledge. Um, she got a, a, a substantial increase in her income for the year and was able to actually dive deeper with people so that she had more meaningful results with them and they were happier. So that was a simple little change. Sometimes it just takes someone from the outside to see a simple way to add more value to turn something into a bigger ticket item. So that was one, um, kind of on a different bench. I had a client named Elaine who was a coach, um, wanted to grow her business. So we worked on that. But really in the digging in, what we found out was she wanted a different lifestyle. She wanted to live a mobile lifestyle. So through the course of our coaching, she ended up selling her house, everything she owned. She downsized her life to literally three boxes, bought a uh, one of those Mercedes Vans, and is now traveling around the country on her, in her van or on her boyfriend's boat. Um, doing her coaching and coaching people all around the world, but loving her life while she's doing it. But she, that wasn't her objective when she came in. Her objective was to grow her business, which we did. But what we also did that was important for her was growing her life because she really, really is just loves what she's doing now and wasn't all that happy before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's. There's a lot to uh, dig in there. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to the topic of spending the time, and you, you said it, the four inches between your head, the inner work mm-hmm. of, of really what we want. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll preface it. We'll come back to it, but I'll preface it. I did one of those disc assessments, assessments. Actually, uh, Chris, my producer in the background listening, might find this interesting. I did that as part of a um, onboarding to be a guest on another show. Because I do some guesting at times. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so understanding how we tick, what we want, how we best dovetail into the world around us with others around us is important. But the coach that you took from $2,500 to $7,500, you know, that was really some small tweaks around offer. I love the fact that you touched on implementation because that's, you know, people love to be inspired. They don't like to do the work. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and we need that hand-holding. But really, at the core, what you're talking about there is, is price elasticity, is stretching the offer, stretching the value of what people will pay, giving them more, but doing so in a way that doesn't burden the provider or the person fulfilling it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in, in delivering tremendous value. And at the same ch- time, uh, charging what that value is worth. Exactly. Uh, AKA price elasticity. Anything to add there? I'm sure you've seen many examples over the years of that.
1: Yeah. And like I said, this was uh, well over 20 years ago, but I thought it was a good example of that. But also what we really shifted in the continuing work we did was expanding her context, which shifted her positioning, which shifted her results substantially. So she went from being a commodity provider, uh, a trainer who was competing against every other trainers, providing one or two day trainings. And that really is a commodity space because you're competing on price and a little bit on expertise. But basically, it puts you in a a very competitive position to where we put her as their sales partner. And in fact, kind of their um, outsourced um, VP of sales, where she would go in and then do some consulting with the team customize the training, although it often didn't get customized very much, do the implementation support and work with management on sales processes and optimization that then ended up being $50,000 and um, $68,000 packages that, again, 20 years ago was pretty substantial and really shifted who she worked with, how she worked with them, and how she thought of herself. She shifted from being a service or commodity provider to Being a partner in their business a high level consultant and someone who has really paid well for her expertise um, she was uh, you know had published books and was a uh, and a renowned expert prior but she wasn't positioning that way and she right. wasn't pricing that way so shifting all of that and how she approached it shifted her position in the marketplace into more of a category of one
0: yeah, I love all of that and you know the 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 Reality is, you can always expand pricing, but your value needs to. If you're going to expand pricing threefold, I think your value needs to go sixfold, right? Yeah. And of course, there's always a way to do that. And the real secret in that sauce is doing it so you don't go and drive yourself crazy yes. as a person who has to deliver the value. Yes, because uh, you can quickly overpromise, and then you're then you're in a real bad spot. Exactly. Even today, fifty, sixty, seventy-five thousand-dollar packages. That's still a lot of money. And, it is. Uh, I'm a believer that if you take the money, you do the work. And yeah. you do the work as it was sold. Absolutely. Um,
1: Absolutely. And, diff- and the, the thing is, that her results with her teams increase substantially with the implementation support. And that's, you know, that's I'm a team. big, you know, zealot about don't do drop and go. That doesn't serve anyone. Just dropping information just widens the gap between what they know and what they're doing. So the value was that the results that the people that she was working with got went up substantively, like more than tenfold in almost every situation. So um yeah. that's that's the real measure of success, is when the results shift.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that for sure. Let's go back to your other client you worked with who is now living in a uh <laughs> Mercedes sprinter van doing yeah. the uh travel. You know, work-life balance lifestyle thing, which there's so many people doing that. Truth be told, my plan for three to five years from now, um, is, you know, is going to all depend on where our youngest son goes to college, what that football journey looks like uh, with him, for him. Um, you know, we're prepared for it already. If we had to pick up and go today, we've got the truck and the RV to to go do it. So we're 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 pretty much ready. It's just he's in tenth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, there's so many people doing that and really it does come down to this question of understanding what you want out of life. And it's why I brought up the disc assessment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I do those, I, I high D high, I low, low S and a like one third C. (laughs) Um, And I know it every time it doesn't really change. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, for people to understand who they are and what they want, I think we could probably spend our time the rest of the time on this. I think a lot of folks struggle with truthfully answering. And just to set the tone, I'm here in my home today alone. Uh, no one else was home, quiet. You know, I think even in that moment, People have a hard time truthfully answering from their soul Mm -hmm. what they want out of life. Why is that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why my other title, my other moniker that I use is the Why Whisper, because I am really passionate about supporting people and figuring out their why. Why they do what they do. And that is not some story about, well, you know, I had backache, so I I became a chiropractor. It's deeper than that. It's it's sometimes called purpose or mission, but I think those terms are laden and kind of overused. Um, so my definition of your why is what you're healing from the past and what you long for for the future, for yourself and others. Mm-hmm. So what you're healing from the past and what you long for for yourself and others and and. I think it's the thread that weaves through the tapestry of our life. It's consistent. It doesn't change. Our stand, how we live into it and express it at any given time changes. We have different, you know, you can express your why as a, as a parent, as a podcaster, in your business, in your corporate career, in your community. There's lots of different ways and iterations of how we express it, but it stays consistent. So for me, my why is that I want you to get that you matter. And live like you do. And why? Why does that drive me and push me in my personal growth work and in my working with entrepreneurs? Because I always wanted to get that I mattered. I wanted to get on the damn list, never mind the top of the list. I just wanted to get on the list. I grew up with a ton of what people would call dysfunction. I would call dysfunction. Um, you know, I had a borderline personality disorder mother who was alcoholic and hypochondriac and all sorts of other issues. Uh, she was married five times, um, four times before I was eight. Lots of violence, many of the, you know, lots of, um, yeah, violence. I moved 27 times in the first 29 years of my life. Lots wow. and lots of of chaos and challenge. What I what I love and appreciate about that is that it, there's a line in, a, I think it's Khalil Gabran, that sorrow carves a deeper well for joy to fill. And I think experiences like that create more capacity for compassion and understanding and growth to fill. So I would never change my past. Um, as, you know, as challenging as it was, it gave me a tremendous amount of capacity. It also gave me a lot of, you know, shit to work through and, you know, need counseling for and do a lot of personal growth work, but it, it helped me be a better coach, but. Because of all of that going on, I was kind of I grew up as an only child, even though I have a half-brother and sister. And mom's addictions always came first. So, so that was my desire. It was just to matter. And and as part, part of why I love entrepreneurship so much is that became my way of coping, surviving, and keeping us safe. Like I had my first business when I was, well, five basically i really wanted the book heidi really really wanted it it was my book for kind of my refuge so i begged my mother as only a very persistent aries child can uh please can i have it please please how about now how about now Can me get it now how about now how about how about today can we go get that book please mom please please etc for weeks and finally one day she turned around and yelled no we can't afford it and i was shocked but i wasn't shocked by hearing that because i heard that all the time i was really shocked by the look on her face And I remember it viscerally to this day. I don't remember a lot of my childhood, Jeff, but I remembered that. And I remember seeing the look of shame and sadness and frustration and pain and anger on her face. And I remember swearing at five that I never wanted to see that look on anyone else's face again. Mm. Not my own, not hers, not anyone else's. And so... I I kind of vowed right then to do something about that. Now, as a five-year-old, but what, what the hell can you do, right? But what I also heard was, problem, no money, solution, get money. As kids, we don't complicate crap out of things, but as adults, we do. So I decided, oh, okay, I just need to go get some money. So I decided I was going to have my first business. So I had seen some people in our housing tenement have a garage sale. I hauled everything I could out of our house and sold it one day. She was off at work. Someone was supposed to be watching me. I'm sure, but it was 1965, so a lot more lax back then. Well, she was a lot more lax, <laughs> anyways. And I, I had a very successful garage sale. I sold my toys, knickknacks, small household appliances, whatever I could carry. Um, I pretty, I'm sure, I came out of the womb carrying a briefcase and an entrepreneurial because, um, like, I could count before I could do almost talk and everything. Um, anyways, she came home. I was so proud. I ran up to her. Look, mom, $13.72. I still remember to <laughs> this day how much money I made. And that was a lot of money, especially for a five year old, and especially back then. Problem solution, right? Mm, not quite how she saw it <laughs> at all. She, <laughs> spanked me, took away my money, was really pissed that I sold a whole bunch of our stuff. I had to go back and buy back everything I could. Kids wouldn't sell me back my toys, so I lost most of my toys. Um, didn't get the book for a while. Uh, and so many people would say that's not a very good sort of successful first venture, but I actually think it was because I learned some important things right then. One is that we can take our destiny into our own hands and entrepreneurship is a great yep. vehicle for that. The second lesson I learned is don't go into business with family. <laughs> I'm uh, semi kidding about that. But the third was that it really does matter to me to, to kind of take that control. And that has been my passion ever since is to support people in being able to say yes to their lives, to say yes to what they yeah. want to be, do and have. And that's what motivates me to this day. That's why I love what I do. And that's my why. And so I think it is important for us to figure out our why on many levels from the you know intrinsic, like you were mentioning, because we are meaning-making machines. We need meaning to, to get us through the day, but also to differentiate yourself and your marketing, to help you with positioning, strategy. Like Our why matters a lot. That was a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. One thing I forgot to mention to you in our pre-show is you'll see me occasionally glancing down and for anybody watching, you know, I make notes and and we use we use our time together intentionally here, but then later as somebody's scrolling and we want to maybe get your attention, we'll put a little snippet in front of you. And so that's what I do when I make those little notes. I'm kind of time-stamping those profound moments. Awesome. You know, I it, it dawns on me that look on your mom's face, that look of shame um, that look of no, I wonder, I think a lot of people are walking around, maybe not so much of that look. Maybe they are, it might Mm -hmm. be body language. It might be temperament. Um, it might be negative feeling because they aren't clear and they're afraid and they think that what they want is truly out of reach. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, again, going back to that DISC assessment, right? That's, Mm -hmm. it's hard to sit in that quiet with yourself and truthfully answer. Yeah, because when you go through those things, it's like, well, how do I rank, you know, being self-driven, being financially secure against starving children and homeless people? Mm -hmm. Which I don't think was all in one exact question, but you've done them. I think a lot of people listening have done them. Mm -hmm. it's an uncomfortable proposition for people Mm -hmm. and often i think they folks let what they want out of life get in the way they let the answers they feel others want Mm -hmm. get in the way of living their life Mm -hmm. i'm sure you've seen and have experience with that statement
1: yeah absolutely i think approval is the number one most debilitating and um Detrimental issue that any human being can have, and it's very common. It's particularly common for women um, because we're trained and and you know, inculcated with that f- from our birth. But approval and the need to please others and the need to be accepted is visceral. Like if you're rejected from the tribe, you die. Right. So it's in our DNA to want to belong and to do what it takes to have other people like us. But that is such a a fast path to alienating ourselves from ourselves. Um, we forget hmm. who we are and what we want because we're so busy being over there about what do you want to need so that you will love me, appreciate me, value me, not leave me, etc. Um, so I I couldn't agree more that there is a lot of challenge with balancing out how do we get our needs met and what are my needs? What do I want? Who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And what do I want to have? Um, Big questions that a lot of people are not comfortable sitting with. And frankly, they're hard to figure out on their own. Like, I've been a coach for 40 years, and I have two coaches because I can't see my shit. It's right on the end of my nose. I can't see (laughs) my own stuff, right? That's why I have someone who goes, Oh, okay, now I can see it, right? Um, So, yeah, I think... Part of the problem is we also are not trained, uh, especially in North American culture, to call in support there's a lot of lone wolf culture, a um, lot of push, drive, you know, what I would kind of call the masculine side of business and life of, of the value of being the lone wolf. And that gets picked up, and people suffer as a result, because that's not who we are and how we're really built. We're yeah. meant to work together.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a balance to be found on that. I mean, one of my uh, ventures uh, right over my shoulder there has got the big old masculine look with yeah. the lion and, and all that other stuff. But really yeah. what we foster there is, is, yeah, go out, stake your claim, go out, live life the way you want. Mm-hmm. That's going to be difficult. And as a group, we're here for that support for each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's where... I agree with you. I think that's where we can lose sight. We can lose focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that masculine energy, 100% for sure. You know, I was actually taking the task as we launched uh, that group, Battlefield Alliance, uh, by, by a lady that I'm connected to in the mattress industry. And what was so funny about her comment at the time is our most active members at the time were women. Mm-hmm. Yes. And... And again, our, our whole goal there was to say, you know what? We're here to support each other. We're here to create that alliance and whoever you are, come as you are with what you want to do in this world and we're going to support it. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's what we created. But I, I, I do agree. It is a lonely road to be out there on your own. I I've lived it. Um, it's actually the, the shift that I'm undertaking right now. And so, uh, I look at our time together as very cool. I even look at it as divine. Because mm-hmm. my, my original guest was not you for today. You came in, actually, I think <laughs> within the last week, if my memory serves me correct. Yes. And so, and so here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love everything we've been, we've been jamming on so far. Um, you've brought this up a couple times about the maturepreneur. Mm-hmm. Give us what that's all about.
1: Well, you know, our society is changing. Uh, people are living longer, a lot longer. They're going to continue to live longer and longer and longer. Uh, within not very long, we'll have people living to 120, 150. Uh, and it used to be that retirement was 65 because you would die by 70 in most cases, if not if you even made retirement um, less than 50 years ago. That was the case, right? So things have shifted and changed, but how we do life has not. And so there's this expectation that you're 60, 65, you're done, and that's just not true anymore. You know, like I work with especially maturepreneur women, but um, all of them who are just basically hashtag not done by a long shot, who still want to contribute or have to continue to work. In in Canada, I don't know, I don't know where the stat came from, so I don't know if it's actually true, but I would suspect intuitively it's close. Seventy-five percent of Canadians are retiring with less than twenty-five thousand dollars net worth. So mm. think about that. That's a lot of people who cannot afford to live. Like literally, you can't even live for a year on twenty-five thousand dollars anywhere in Canada. Um, right. And so, so, and I, you know, I'm I'm assuming it's the same in the U.S. And I'm actually looking for stats on that, but it's really hard to find because people don't track older people because they don't matter anymore. Um, one of the challenges is for maturepreneurs is we are largely invisible, can't get insurance, can't get funding, can't get bank loans, uh, because, you know, well, you should be off knitting or, uh, you're going to die in two years anyways, or you're going to become decrepit. Yeah. So you won't be able to function. All of those are old myths that just don't apply anymore. There are literally millions and millions and millions of boomers and Gen Xers who have another 30, 40, 50 years to live, depending on which bracket they're in, and um don't want to sit around and golf or knit and and or binge on Netflix. Like, can you imagine 40 years more of nothing but that? And they still have lots of value, tremendous wisdom, tremendous expertise. Yeah. They've developed a whole lifetime of value to give. So they're coming into a market that where they are largely invisible, where they are... Um, not valued and where there isn't any support structure. And, and frankly, that kind of pisses me off. And so it's not, it's, yeah, it's an area that I'm passionate about shining the light on, creating practical support structures for that and helping some aspects of society, you know, not to be too crude, but pull their head out of their ass about the facts mm-hmm. that are, that these people are not done. And so, yes, yeah. you can give them a 10-year loan, and yes, you can do VC funding for a business started. You know, there was a woman uh, here in Calgary who uh, won an award of top 8 over 80 for starting a tech company at 86. Um, wow. She, yeah. What a like, story. Yeah, exactly. I know. I'm trying to track her down for my, my podcast. Um, and there are so many stories like that of incredible people doing incredible things. Um, that don't get highlighted because it's just not part of our zeitgeist yet. But it yeah. has to become part of that. And so, yeah, I'm a big advocate for it. I think there is a tremendous amount of um, wisdom drain out of the marketplace. So you can teach mm-hmm. skills to younger people. You can teach um, knowledge and, and, and the ability to do tasks. But there's a big difference between that and wisdom. And when wisdom leaves a culture or a marketplace or a business, it gets ungrounded. It gets, it has less heart. It has less, um, sensibility and it yeah. may, you know, grow. It may thrive, but it won't be, um, as healthy. So I think that there is a tremendous amount of, of, value to finding ways to bringing um, wisdom workers is another name I give them back into the workforce, but also back into the entrepreneurial world. Um, yeah. we, we need them and they need us. And so it's going to get a whole lot more competitive in the entrepreneurial world, which is both good and bad. I mean, you know, it'll create a whole bunch of challenges. And a lot of these people need to learn how to think differently. Many of them are coming out of corporate or out of um, employee, you know, being an employee their whole life into a world where they now have to sell and market themselves and they suck at that. They have to think differently about about who they are and how they contribute. So they may have the skills, the expertise, the wisdom, but they don't know how to be entrepreneurs. And there's a lot lacking on that. You know, I was yeah. on... Something called the Marketer's Cruise, because this was not on my radar at all, not long ago. You know how when you buy a yellow Volkswagen, all you see are yellow Volkswagens. as well? <laughs> yeah, when exactly. I was on the Marketer's Cruise, I was talking to a bunch of people. It's a, it's a work cruise with 400 people, marketers from around the world. And yep. we were uh, networking on pizza and profits at 3 o'clock in the morning. And a group of guys, I walked up, there was four of them. One guy asked me, what do you do? I was literally mid-sentence answering him, and he turned and started talking to someone else. So my first reaction Mm. was, what a dick. And I, you know, kind of walked away and went to the next group. Literally the same thing happened. Five people, someone asked me, what do you do? Uh, I was answering them two sentences, and he turned and started talking to someone else. So I did what most women do, or most people do, and go, am I not showing up? Is it me? What's going on? Am I not coming with, you know, forward? Nope, that wasn't it. I'm not usually a shrinking violet. I don't usually blend into the background. I have blue hair, for God's sake. Um, But... uh, I it happened a third time, and I started, and I also started looking at all the other women who had gray hair on that cruise. Literally, no one talked to them uh, at a table of eight. No one talked to the two women with gray hair the whole meal. It was fascinating and appalling to me. So I that's how I became aware of ageism as a thing. I didn't know about it before, but it it's alive and well, and and somewhat covert and somewhat overt depending on what you're looking for and seeing. Um, and as entrepreneurs, that just adds a layer of challenge to the whole thing is, is if you're invisible, that doesn't help when you're trying to grow a business. So how do we get seen and heard? So that's a little bit about why I'm so passionate about this field. It's personal, it's universal, it's growing, and there's a ton of demand and very little supply. So I'm really happy about, being at the leading edge of this market.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and no kidding, a ton of supply. Um, we all, you know, if you're paying any attention to any kind of numbers, economically, societally, we know the baby boomer generation is one of the largest generations that's out there. And that's exactly who you're speaking to and about, yeah. you know, on the wisdom uh, topic and, and not respecting it. it's It's so funny that we would be together here today because not less than I guess at this point, a hundred minutes ago, hour and a half ago or so, um, I was speaking to an industry uh, friend of mine about a company that is, is really facing financial hardship and likely uh, to uh, to be folding or be taken over. Um, uh, if, if rumors are true, uh, this company will be thrown into involuntary bankruptcy because the, mm-hmm. the money owed to multiple people is just too high. And and that's that's what happens here stateside. Uh, when you have multiple creditors owed multiple tens of millions of dollars. But this company was at the top of the industry a while back. And when Mm -hmm. I say a while back, I mean like three to five years ago. Mm -hmm. And COVID hits and then they overplay the hand. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. is a company run by a bunch of young people Mm -hmm. and they were good, very talented. The Achilles heel is they just didn't know what they didn't know.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And that's where wisdom comes into play. You know, looking ahead in 21 and even the beginning of 22, you could start to see things. And when you're a, of a younger age, you just haven't been exposed to it, these yeah. things, these macroeconomic issues that come up, these supply chain issues that come up, and uh, they just hadn't seen it. So like you said, this, you know, the coach helps you see the stuff in front of your nose. It was—it's right there, and and sadly, um, that company is going to have to go through some really, really rough times. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't necessarily have to be that way. Yeah. Um, because some of the folks you serve are on their sales team.
1: Yeah. But they're—they're
0: yeah. they're just a ten ninety nine person, so yeah. You just—just just go sell stuff. Yeah. We don't want to hear. Yeah. You know, just—just follow the marching orders, right? And 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 I think it's like any group. Society, a culture, a team, an organization, any group that doesn't revere those with wisdom and that can come young and it can come old mm-hmm. you know we've we've got fifteen year olds right now that are wealthier than you I and Chris combined, yeah because their passion and knowledge of YouTube and of Instagram and snapchat they have found a niche they've found something that excites them and they're making money reviewing Legos or they're yeah. making money opening up brand new toys. They're, they've are they got a video game channel and they're getting paid and paid well. And I'm, I applaud that. Mm-hmm. So we can revere that wisdom and respect it. Mm-hmm. But we got to do the same on the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, so what, what are ways that people can bring that in? Maybe let's speak organizationally um, to some of these folks that you're working with now.
1: Right. Well, um, and I think I, I think that it, you're right, you can have very wise young people, we call them old souls or whatever you may call them, and you can have not very wise older people. Part of it mm-hmm. is, have you learned the lessons in your life and actually learned the lesson, or have you just had a lot of lessons and keep having them? And And I think what it sounds like for that company you're talking about is they probably had a peacetime or growth CEO when they needed to bring in a wartime CEO. Um, one that can deal with <laughs> adversity. And a lot of the value of a lot of maturepreneurs is that they have been both. So you can find in that marketplace people who have weathered various things. Now, it's not that you want to take the past and throw it on the future. We're not talking about bringing them in so they can go, well, in my day, we did this. You want to bring them in so that they can say, yeah, here's the waves, and we're right now at this part of the wave. And so here's some things to be thinking about. Um, So, bringing them in not to um, hold on to the past, but to bring in the experience that allows you to uh, move into the future with more strategic forethought and bringing more things into the conversation that you might not be available or might not be aware of because you haven't gone through it. So, I think they're really good for helping people with SWOT analysis and for helping people with... Seeing things differently, they have a, I call it a context, a bigger container. Um, and the bigger the container, the more you can put in it. And sometimes when, when, you know, a CEO or a person who owns a company has reached a certain limit, it's because their container is too small to hold anymore. They need contextual expansion. I love that analogy. And that's what a lot of older people or maturepreneurs can do is help contextual expansion. So they may not, you know, don't just look at them for the skills and the things that you put in the container. Look at them for how they can expand your container with you. Um, so that's one thing. I think that they will bring a different kind of innovation to the marketplace. Because those that are um, not stuck in the past, and there are some that are. There are some that are, you know, very resistant to change. There are some that are technophobic, etc. But far less than the myths would have us perceive and think. I mean, you know, boomers have grown up with technology and myself, and I've got a 76-year-old friend who loves video editing and creating new technologies and using new technologies. Like, it is her juice and joy. She stays up till three o'clock in the morning learning tech and teaching it to other people. Yeah. Um, So I think that we really have to get past the myths and the the old stories and look at what is and what is, is that there's a lot of innovation because maturepreneurs can see a bigger picture in many cases um, and and can think of, um, how do I say this? <laughs> I think we're probably, I haven't actually articulated this before, Jeff, you're kind of stretching me here, but I think intuitively there is a greater sense of History with this generation and therefore more awareness of the perils and challenges that we're facing right now. A lot of the younger generation, like I talked to young women. History repeats itself. Exactly. And, and I, a lot of the younger generation thinks everything's fine. Like I talked to young women and they go, Oh, yeah, no, we've got equality. No, honey, we don't. We're still 80 cents on the dollar to men. It's up from 60 cents 20 years ago, but we're still 80 cents on the dollar. If you're a white woman, if you're a Latina, and various other ethnicities, um, it's less than that. So no, you have not achieved equality. Um, But they don't know that because they don't have a historical perspective, right? They think everything's peachy. Um, The reality is they're making 20% less than their male counterparts doing the same thing. And and we have, you know, environmental issues that, again, a lot of the younger generation are not as, some are not as acutely aware of. Um, I think that that we need to work together the intergenerational opportunities to create innovation are huge huge Because yeah. you bring the balance of both aspects of the um fresh perspective and the you know bigger holistic perspective etc so there's just i don't know i think i'm i know i'm rambling and babbling a little bit but i'm excited by the possibilities if and when we get over labeling and dismissing This whole um, cohort, which is millions and millions of people that can add value. So, to answer your question, bring them in as advisors, bring them in as your seniors, your senior staff. You know, a lot of them got laid off and fired and so forth because they're more expensive than younger people. There's a reason for that. You pay, you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, bring them in as consultants. There's a lot of value to that. Um, bring them in as your wartime CEOs and of your peacetime or vice versa, depending where you're at in your industry. And for those who want to go the entrepreneurial route, get the education you need to be an entrepreneur, because that's the biggest problem for most entrepreneurs. They have the passion, the skill, the thing they do, but they don't know how to run a business. And that's why most fail. So, uh, you know, that market, I would advise you, you may have a lot of the, experience and a lot of ability but until you learn how to be an entrepreneur you're not going to get very far
0: yeah yeah there's a couple examples visual examples and i'll try to express for those watching those listening about what we've touched on for the last 10 minutes or so um to experience and i forget the players i forget the names but i remember the example profoundly so uh, a toothpaste company was struggling to sell more toothpaste right it's ingrained behavior. You brush your teeth two, three times a day. So inherently, you're not going to make people go to four or five times a day. There's a very mild, you know, small percentage of the audience that does that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even if you got them to go more, you're just not going to move the needle selling massive amounts of toothpaste. So a consultant comes in and he says, "I have the answer. The answer is a hundred grand, and I have it for you right now." So when you sign the check. Um, I will give you the answer. And, you know, they they the company capitulated back and forth. Well, what could they mean? We talked with this person a handful of times, you know, revisiting the nodes, revisiting, I don't know if it was recorded or not. It probably wasn't because this this predates modern technology. And, and so, you know, looking over the meeting minutes, nobody could figure out what could it possibly mean, but they were so intrigued by what this $100,000 answer in, in cost would be. And it was a lot of wisdom that brought forth this answer. And the answer was very simple make the hole in the tube with toothpaste larger.
1: Mm.
0: So the customer uses more of your product. You want to sell more, they got to use more. We can't change their behavior. We can't change their habits. We can't change their feelings about brushing their teeth. If somebody doesn't think brushing their teeth two, three times a day is valuable, there's, we're not going to make them do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we can get them to consume more
1: by expanding
0: yes. the hole in the tube of the toothpaste. Yes. And that was $100, answer, right? a $100,000 answer. great story. Through, I love that. Through wisdom. Yes. To, to your to your container example, this is more. I think going back to the "what do you want out of life" part of our conversation, but I think it's all that wisdom bundled up in the container. And I, I believe it was a college professor. I saw this on YouTube once, and he was explaining. Look, there's different ways to define your life. There's big moments. There's small moments. There's little moments. And your life is going to be made up of all these moments. But if you only focus on the big moments, you don't have the opportunity to fill your life with these smaller, more important moments. And and I'm probably butchering it, but basically it was, look, if you attempt to fill your container, if you attempt to only go one way, Mm -hmm. all you're going to get is sand in this container. If you only attempt to fill it with the bigger rocks, the bigger moments of life, that's all you're going to get in there and you'll have less of them. But if you look to fill that space with a mix of everything, mm-hmm. you get everything in that container. Right. And again, I think that goes back to wisdom. The way you approach a problem, the way you approach an opportunity mm-hmm. um, is really important.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and
0: it's that wisdom that brings that brings people in.
1: Exactly. So I'm well, feeling
0: we could jam out for a, a lot longer, but there's yeah. two other things I want to, or, or I'm, two things yes, two things that I want you to certainly get out and share. Um, we'll wrap up with your Wings Academy, but looking over my notes, I prepare for every show. Mm-hmm. You you say you're an expert at kicking your B-U-T-S.
1: Yep. And so what's your, that stand for? Your butts. Your your butts. I do this, but I can't because of this and that excuse. I'd love to have that, but it's just not my, you know, I can't create that or whatever. Um, I think there's, Well, this is a little bit of a adjacent point, but I think that our epidemic of, or that our, sorry, let me stop babbling. There is an epidemic of not enoughness that is creating a culture of too muchness. And what I mean by Mm. that is everybody has a story of not enough. I'm not good enough, smart enough, skinny enough, pretty enough, young enough, old enough, whatever it may be. And so we fill that not enoughness with stuff. One of the reasons I went mobile in my lifestyle is I recognized that my stuff owned me. I didn't own my stuff. And and I wanted to live, you know, somewhere warm most of the year. Um, but but I think that that not enoughness, that story that we tell ourselves, creates all sorts of excuses about why we can't be, do, and have what we want. And, and that creates all those buts. I would buy you the book, but we don't have enough money. I would say yes, but there's not enough time, et cetera. And so a big part of what a good coach does is helps you A, see it, B, decide, is that who you really want to be? And C, practically supports you in kicking that butt to the curb and replacing it with a better story. Bottom line is we make up everything. Everything we do is a story that we're telling. And we, we just do better when we tell better stories. And because we're making it all up anyways, we might as well tell a better story so we get better results. Love, it.
0: Love that. Love that. You know, I kind of I where I I wasn't sure if it was an acronym or more of a philosophy, which I, I believe is more philosophy. Yeah. You know, uh from an acronym standpoint, um behold, uh but you know, but may, can mean for me at times behold the ultimate truth.
1: Oh. All
0: right. So I'm not I'm not doing this, and I'm not getting this in life. But if I had this, it would happen, mm-hmm. right? And so that ultimate truth is in the middle there, right? And and when well, you accept it, you can now answer it and direct your life towards it.
1: And perhaps the ultimate truth in that situation is that when I have this someday, I'll be happy is a lie. Mm-hmm. That the someday when is just a, is just a story. It's just a lie. Yeah. You know, the the only time to be happy is right stinking now, not someday that's when, right. not when I get the next accreditation or the next job or the next boyfriend or the next whatever. So, um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of um, stories that we tell that are not helpful. And having someone support us in telling better stories, whether that's a counselor or a loved one who's good at that, et cetera, coach, whatever, is is the support we all need like, I've been at this 40 years, and I just had uh, my own, I call it a shame shitstorm, went through a little phase of an imposter complex. I've got testimonials out the yin-yang, and I still was going through the, I don't think I'm good at this, and so forth. And someone, a very wise uh, mentor of mine said, look, that never changes, That's part of being human, it doesn't matter how successful we are, we still sometimes tell the story that we're not enough, it's not enough, and... Um, it just gets in the way. So the the joy of doing the work is it lasts for a shorter period. What would have taken yeah. me out for months before or take me out of the game altogether now bogs me down for a day or two. Um, and then I reach out to someone who kicks my butts and I get going again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that I, I just want to acknowledge right here, right now, that's powerful for you to share that. So thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Because there's yeah. a lot of folks that go on a lot of shows There's a lot of people that get on a lot of stages. There's a lot of people in your Instagram feed that would paint that picture that, and and they talk about imposter syndrome. They talk about, uh, don't get in your head and and this and that, but I've seen behind the curtain. Mm. And I'm not afraid to say I've had those days too. So I said, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And that, you know, people are going to go through it. You don't have to beat yourself up over it. Um, and, you know, if it's a day, if it's two, fine. If it's three, fine.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah.
0: work through it, accept it, and and know that if you commit to figuring out what you want, mm-hmm. those three weeks that you might be in that cycle of imposter syndrome and feeling like you're less, less than, if you're really clear with what you want. Yeah that three weeks goes away pretty quick, right? It goes down to two days. It goes down to a day. It goes down to an hour. It goes down to a fleeting moment. And that's going to be natural. Yep,
1: absolutely. never going to go away, like you said. Yeah, and sometimes it's just a call to wake up and say, am I on track? Because a lot of times that comes in when we've been on automatic or we're not listening to ourselves. So for me, a lot of that, because it actually happened three times in the past year, which is about, three times more than usual. Um, and it was a wake-up call to, it's time to shift gear, shift focus. Yes, I've got a lot of invested in the business model I had, and it's not what I'm being called to. And what I'm being called to is scary as shit. And, you know, being called to step up and play a bigger game in an unknown arena. And even though I've reinvented myself a lot of times, this is this is scary, you know? And And so one of the things I'm really committed to I'm putting it out because it scares me and I don't want to say it, but the more you put it out, the more that you and the universe and everybody else gets that you're committed to this is that I want to be an example of it's never too late to turn your financial situation around because there are so many older people who don't have money to retire and so forth. So I want to show that you can go from six to seven figures after 60. It's not too late. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much that says, oh, no, never mind. It's too late. You can't do it. I want to just show that that's BS. Mostly because it's, I hate constraints. I hate when people say, no, you can't. Um, but yes,
0: That's one of my lines. Tell yeah. me I can't. Like, go ahead, say it.
1: Yeah, yeah, say, exactly. Say you
0: can't and watch.
1: And there's just millions of people in a lot of despair. Because they don't think they can change their situation at this point. And I think any day that you're on this side of the dirt, you've got the opportunity to change what's going on.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, Wings Academy, you shared with me a little bit in the show before we started uh, in our pre show time. Uh, Wings Academy, is that designed to help people get there?
1: It is um, very briefly. Brief is not my forte. You might have noticed. Um, (laughs) You mentioned earlier about there's a lot of people who show a lot of things that aren't necessarily true and looking behind the curtain, especially in our expert industry, the online world. There are so many of the gurus on the top of the mountain selling things that they call, I call piece of the profit plane. Buy this and you'll build your, you know, get to a million dollars in a weekend and so forth. And frankly, so much of it is smoke and mirrors and BS. And, you know, the Maseratis there in front of our least and, they're just a side of broke or broke. Not all, but many. There's, there's a lot of integrity issues in this industry. And having Tons. been on that side and behind the curtains and working to help lots of people make millions of dollars myself, I know that they're selling pieces of things that work at the top of the mountain when you have infrastructure and team and a list of 40,000, <laughs> but they're selling them to people who are coming up the mountain who don't have all of that. And so yep. these leveraging strategies don't work. And these poor people think it's their fault, but it's not. It's just the wrong strategy at the wrong time or the wrong strategy for them and their style. Because like you said, everybody's different. Different things work for different people. And and so my goal is to create what I call the revenue runway, a place for that profit plane to take off and land on and to help them figure out what kind of plane they want to build. Because like, stop wasting time, money and effort and a shit ton of money, by the way, on buying pieces of the plane when you don't even have a runway for it to land on. So the Wings Academy is their way of actually putting that in place so they can build their profit plan and take off. Most people who are spinning, I call them smart, savvy spinners, are either doing the wrong thing for them or the wrong thing at the wrong time. So we slow their roll and speed up their results. So if they're looking for results, that's what it's for. That's the long and short of it.
0: Love it. Love it. And, you know, you're so kind and gracious, uh, of your time with my viewers and listeners. If, you know, if you, if you've loved, uh, learning from Jeanette today and want to connect more, she's willing to spend some time with you in a consult, uh, one-on-one, um, you can get that. There we go. We've got it there linked up. I'll say it out. Jeanette's Me. slash what's next. We've got it up on the screen. Um, and, uh, this is a great way to uh, connect with Jeanette in a one-on-one way and and you know I'm sure she'll help you figure out what's next and maybe Wang's Academy is next and maybe maybe there's a better next step um, I get the feeling you'll be treated very very fairly when uh, when you get on that consult and it's free yeah. So I would love for you to uh, to do that uh, which is a350 dollar value um, to spend that time with uh, with Jeanette so I would urge you to do so if you feel that's that's what's right. If you feel that's where you're being pushed in life at this moment you're in, check that out. Me slash what's next. Or I'm sure if you connect through all the stuff we put in uh, in the show notes, you can connect that way too. Yeah.
1: And I, I just as an aside, so many of those tend to be very veiled sales calls. I promise this is a, con- a coaching consultation about what your next steps need to be And not just about me or my programs, but like where's the gap and what should you be focusing on? Um, If I can help you, I'll tell you and we will book a sales call. This is a coaching call.
0: Yeah. And that's why I set it up that way. I had the feeling that's exactly the way it was going to be. Yeah. Jeanette, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together. It was truly meant to be in more ways than I can express here and now. Uh, But just know... It is, and know you're on the right path. And thank you for being my path, on my path as well. And uh, I'm sure we've crossed paths with our listeners and watchers uh, today, too. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Jeff. And you know, I got to say, I've been on a lot of podcasts and events and spoken, and I love the depth that you bring to your show and to your listeners. Oh, thank you. And I really, really love how committed you are to expanding people. Like, you can just tell in your thinking, in your way of being in your life, and the kind of the challenge that you bring to the listeners and to your guests. Um, I love it. It's very bodacious. Way to go.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and we didn't even get to say bodacious. I didn't get to say bodacious, but (laughs) I've had a bodacious time. You go to bodacity.ca. I think I said that right. I can do bodacious. Bodacity. Yeah. Bodacity.
1: it's a combination of bold and audacious. I didn't make it up, but it's it's what I stand for in life. Yeah.
0: Love <laughs> it. Well, go out there, make your day audacious today. Please do connect with Jeanette. We've had all our information flashing on the screen in the show notes. Uh, I'm sure you will be well taken care of, well respected, and you're going to find, she's going to help you find that new path, set you on that path of what you want. It's important. And uh, Jeanette, Take care. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank really you, Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, everybody else, go out there. Do life. Do business on your terms this week. Live that big-ticket life. Have a wonderful day. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big-ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.